0: This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, guest speaker Scott Hagan, president of North Central University, shares on three important keys to leadership. Let's join Scott Hagen right now. I want to give you the three things, I believe, how a sacred leader operates. Now, there's hundreds of these inside this book, and it's a great gift to give people. And I think we got some copies, had a great, great group of people get them in the first service. But get them for your teammates, your boss, anybody you can think of that you are wanting to build a conduit with, a person of influence. It'll open up tremendous conversations for the kingdom. And and it's written in a way that, that it will not be offensive to them whatsoever. Here's three things about leadership I want you to remember. Number one, never punish the next person because of the actions of the previous person make each relationship a clean slate this is a very difficult competency for many people because throughout the day they encounter people they have a sharp encounter a controversial encounter and then they make the next person pay the price we do this at a high level with bias and prejudice we have an experience here we layer that experience onto our future experiences Sacred leaders have an ability to wash off the experience of the residue of that conversation. (coughs) So when they walk into the next conversation, even if it's a sharp pivot, even if it was one minute ago, I turned to you, but you are a clean slate. It's a phenomenal conversation to have at work with your teams. Are we good at this? Am I good at this? What are my shortcomings in this? How am I doing in this area? Ask your your subordinates and your supervisors? Do I treat each people as a clean slate or am I constantly carrying the anxiety of the previous relationships into the next relationship and that person's done nothing to you but they're gonna pay the price? If you wanna be a sacred leader, that high level leader, you have to master the, the, the capacity to shake free of previous encounters and know how to make each relationship a clean slate. Now there's ways to do that but it's a powerful conversation. I think sacred leaders operate this way. Here's number two. Understand that it's rapport before candor. People will never have confidence to share their ideas or concerns until they first know their relationship with you has a future. When somebody meets you, what tells them that they have a future with you? One thing, rapport. Or in other words, warmth. You don't have to be a touchy-feely personality to communicate warmth or interest or engagement. We're not talking about the trait of a certain type of person that comes across good to another person. Rapport is the commitment, the inner commitment I have in my life (coughs) to make that person feel noticed and valuable and meaningful, even if our encounter is only for 10 seconds. If you're a person of title in this room, I don't care what your title is. It could be Usher on the far left aisle over there. You're a gatekeeper. Having a title means you're a gatekeeper. When people come across to you and you're cold to them, disinterested in them, what it tells them is that the relationship has no future. And what they then do is become restricted They begin to boast or become defensive, they turn into somebody they were not intended to be as they seek to survive the encounter with you. It all happens very fast, friends, trust me. The power of rapport, the ability to make somebody feel engaged and singular can happen in a matter of seconds with somebody as opposed to making them feel as though they're intruding. You make anybody feel small in this life, anybody, feel contempt or small, it will take them years, years to get that out of their system. Sacred leaders understand that rapport happens before candor. Somebody has to feel a sense of future in the relationship or they're never gonna open up, nor will they receive your instruction. So rapport before candor. It can come as simple as eye contact and just your body language when you're talking to somebody. Here's a third one real quick. Do you know that good leaders model both urgency and rest? They see good leadership as a blend of action and Sabbath. Now this is a critical nuance for sacred leaders. The ability to live with urgency. We're kingdom people. We seize the day, we recognize opportunities that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating. So we live with a sense of urgency, not passivity in this world. Every day, some type of serendipity, some type of spontaneity is gonna present itself to you as a Christian. It could be as simple as bless this person, help this person, do that, pray for this person. Engage with them. You didn't even know 10 seconds ago they would be in front of you. Now they are and you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. We live urgent. If you lose urgency, friends, I'm not talking about recklessness and busyness, but we live with a sense of awareness even when we're tired, hungry, and frustrated, and usually those three go together. Anybody ever been tired, hungry, and frustrated? Oh, yeah. I'm not in the mood to be a Christian right now. the Holy Spirit in us and through us, gets us up above that just enough to let love and burden and urgency trump tired, hungry, and frustrated. And it may just be a very brief situation, but we're, we live with readiness. But we, we can't live on a constant state of high octane. There has to be Sabbath. There has to be rest. You know your body clock. your 24-hour and seven-day-a-week body clock. When you feel renewal, what it takes for you to feel renewal. Sacred leaders. People to whom the Lord uses wherever the soles of their feet tread. Sacred leaders who see everybody in the room, not simply those who notice them. Sacred leaders who understand that nobody's success is robbing your potential. People who operate with a kingdom mindset. I believe can sustain that sacred leadership mindset on a high school campus or in a retirement community because they have found the space of action and Sabbath. They're able to renew but live ready. And we can have a long conversation but I wanna encourage you. This is one of the most important conversations I've had with people who are not Christians. They cannot figure out action and rest They cannot figure out how how not to live so raw so everybody's paying a price for their presence. Not knowing that people show up to work to see if their car is in the parking lot. And if it's not there, everybody's happy. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, oh good, they're gone. They're gone today, hey, 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 it's a good day. Oh, they're here. I don't wanna be that person that they're seeing if my car's in my slot at the university. I want them to feel like, hey, he's here today. A contributor, not a distraction, is on campus today. Sacred leaders. Anyway, go be that sacred leader. Uh, This resource, there's hundreds of these discussion starters inside that resource for you to use at work and for your own leadership life. Three verses of scripture that have changed the trajectory of my life i've given these three verses away this year more than any other and i want to give them away to you i've never shared this on a sunday morning these have always been over coffee at starbucks that i've given these verses to people but i want to bring them to the pulpit today for the first time and share with you the three verses that i've given away more in the last two years that have that has elicited the strongest reaction from people when I have given them these three verses from the Bible. The first one is found in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 20. The scripture says, for the godly person does not, say that word with me, not. Not. Say it real loud, not. Not. Does not often think about the years of their life. For God keeps them preoccupied with the gladness of their heart. Are you serious? You mean the gladness of the Lord in my heart, not the gladness of God's heart, the gladness of of my heart can be so pronounced that I lose track of time? Not time during the day, friends, but time in the calendar like, oh my gosh, I just turned 60, I forgot. I was just 53. When did that happen? I've been so preoccupied with the gladness of the Lord in my heart that I have not often thought about the years of my life. I've given this away to so many people over 60, and they're going, what was that, what was that, what was that, what was that? Can you text me that reference? What what was that verse again? Because it ministers to their heart. Now, I know if you're under 40 in this room, this verse doesn't have much meaning to you. I'm turning 57 in a matter of weeks. And halfway to that 114, that's how I look at it. Still within the post-flood. Numeric there. A lot of tread on the tire. That's how I think about this. But when I turn 50, I tell everybody that's Turning 50, don't go to sleep. Don't, don't stay up all night. The night of your 50th birthday, stay up all night. Why? I said, stay up all night. I can't explain. Just don't go to bed. Because you wake up. And these little invisible gnome angels, I don't know how they do it. They come into your bedroom. They unscrew your eyes. And they put in these used parts all over your body. And you wake up on your 50th year full of used parts. (laughs) And gravity and brevity rule your life. How many know what I'm talking about? It's unbelievable. I've told you before, I I hurt my back severely, chewing ice. I, I... How did that happen? I was so beat up, so sore, in such pain the other day from sleeping. I thought a nap is supposed to renew you. I could barely get to my bare back and body pills from my nap to take away the pain of sleep, the rigidity. I felt like I was getting up out of a casket. How many know what I'm talking about? It's unbelievable. I call it the Rice Krispie awakening. I mean, I literally get up, I put two feet on the floor, sit on my bed, I go, okay, snack, snap, crackle, pop, snap, crackle, pop. I understand brevity and gravity. But my Bible tells me there's a mindset that is available to us in the kingdom, literally, that my preoccupation with the gladness of the Lord in my heart causes me to lose track of that obsession with getting older every day and regret and comparison. For the godly person does not often think about the years of their life. For the Lord keeps them preoccupied with the gladness of their heart. This verse has changed everything. Ecclesiastes 5.20 Here's the second one. The second verse that I've been giving away is found in Genesis chapter 33 verse 10. Jacob encounters his brother Esau, chapter 32, there's lots of drama leading up to this verse, a whole separate series of teachings. Jacob and Esau have been on the outs. They're twins. They come from the same womb on the same day. And yet they lived their life as though they were not related. Separate empires. Jacob had manipulated his way to the top. And when you spend your life manipulating your way there, you accumulate a lot of ill will. And part of that ill will was his brother Esau. And Jacob knew his day of reckoning had come. And so Jacob hears that Esau and 400 men are in front of him, and the Bible said he was afraid because he was trapped now in his day of reckoning, day of reckoning, friends, with Esau. He tries to give him gifts and he prays all night and the Lord doesn't answer his prayer. Lord, bless my plan, bless my plan, bless my plan. And the Lord said, what's your name? While he's asking God to bless his plan, the Lord's asking him one question in his life. What's your name? Who are you? And finally, after eight hours, the sun's rising after the all night church service and nothing's happened. And finally, Jacob says, Jacob! And the Lord said, there, that's it. What just happened in the last five seconds is more important than the last eight hours in church for you, pal. You're finally honest. I'm a deceiver, heel grabber, deceiver. He says, no, that's what I wanted out of you. Admit who you are. Now I can cleanse you and give you your created purpose. You're Israel. Um, you're God's prince, my delight. And the Bible says that Jacob was so clean that he abandoned his plan. and He had no guarantees that Esau wouldn't kill him, but it doesn't matter. When your life is right with God, you lose all concern about what people can do with, to, do to you. You don't care. Just being clean, God, is the greatest feeling in the world. If Esau kills me, he kills me. I'm just right with God. It's so wonderful to be right with God. And he goes up to Esau and they hug and they cry. Introduce their family. It's quite a reunion. And then Esau doesn't want to accept the gifts that Jacob said. I did bring a bunch of gifts too. I'm giving these gifts to you, but with the right motive now. And then Esau offers Jacob something and then Jacob says this, put the verse up. But Jacob insisted, no, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. This verse changed my life, here we go. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. A smile was like seeing the face of God. We don't smile at strangers anymore. We don't smile because there's no reconciliation. There's no healing. There's no honor inside our heart. My amazing chancellor of the university preached on honor on this platform last Sunday. I told Rich Wilkerson, I'm preaching this week just to clean up the mess you created, Rich. All these people love the Lord and the word now so much more. What an amazing man. What an amazing communicator. The honor. So Jacob and Esau have honor inside of them in this moment. And it translated into a smile. Somebody he was afraid of a few moments earlier has now exhibited the face of God. That's the power of our countenance and the overflow of honor and reconciliation and healing that drive our life. We have to bring this back to this culture, friends. I'm not talking about a false smile of simply a smile of tolerance. We love the truth, friends. Love rejoices in the truth. Love is not love. Any more than in the Garden of Eden, the devil could have told Eve, hey, fruit is fruit, baby. Just pick fruit from either tree. That's what his lie was. Fruit from that tree, fruit from this tree. Hey, it's all fruit. Fruit is fruit. And we have a society telling our young, love is love. You eat fruit from this tree, you'll live forever. You eat fruit from this tree, and you die instantly. So fruit is not fruit, and neither is love simply love. I was talking to somebody the other day about this issue of not the false smile of tolerance, but the true smile of reconciliation. The true face of God is not the face of compromise. Tolerance and compromise, that's not the face of God to this world. It's one that tells the truth. If I'm a doctor, friends, and you have lung cancer, and I have the x-ray in the drawer, but I'm terrified at how you're gonna react to me, and I don't tell you what's in the drawer, You would sue me for malpractice because I have to take the x-ray out as a loving doctor and say, hey, we've we've got an issue we've got to deal with. Here's the x-ray. They're they're mortified, they're afraid, but at least they have a path forward. Now, today, we have the x-ray, the word of God, we keep it in the drawer because we're terrified that people are gonna react to us. So we're giving the, the false smile of tolerance. I was telling... A social justice warrior the other day, nice lady in her 40s, we're talking about abortion and pro-life. And I said, she was saying that no one's gonna tell me what to do with my body, my body is my body. And I was trying to say, yes, but that child is a body. She said, no, it's like a cabbage. I kept a straight face, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But this is actually in educational curriculum that it's simply a clump of cells, no different than a cabbage. And I said, "I, I don't know what to say to you other than I disagree with you for this reason because not only are you a steward of your body, you're a steward of your body, but not an owner of your body, and not only is that not a cabbage, that child in you is not your body. And I hate to tell you this, but not only is the baby not your body, Your body is not your body. And she went nuts. Ah! And I said, my body is not my body. The Bible tells me that my body was bought with a price. That I am not my own. Therefore, glorify God in my body because it actually belongs to him. He purchased it. So not only is that baby not your body, your body's not your body she went crazy ah! incomprehensible only the work of the holy spirit but friends i'm not going to keep the x-ray in the drawer you got to in love but friends it's 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 not just a false smile of tolerance now i will tell you this that that smile is critical to a broken world you read genesis 19 and the first time perversion appears in the bible it's a political perversion the entire men of sodom come as a group it's the first time in the 19th chapter of the bible that you have this mass group of political perversion come as a group to one person named lot here's my final verse let me put it up on the screen genesis 35 then they journeyed from bethel this also involves jacob And when they were still some distance to go from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for now you have another son. It came about as her soul was departing because she was dying at birth. The mother died at the birth of a child. I heard about this growing up. There's been such medical breakthrough in my lifetime. This is very rare. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in our day, but it was common back on, back in this era, especially when you were riding in a cart on a rough road, going to labor, and they're not prepared for this birth. And so Rachel passes away when the child's born. And the Bible says, it came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Oni. The child's name is Ben-Oni. The name means son of sorrow, sadness, and adversity. This is a phenomenal portion of Scripture because it's, it's so relevant to the human condition and the human family, which oftentimes simply gives the child the parent's pain. And the child is left to grow up in a story not of their own. Every time this kid introduced himself for the rest of his life, hey, what's your name? My name is Ben Onai, or you know, my mom died when I was born. Yeah, my name is my mom passed away when I because of me. Do you know how many kids live with their sense of reputation and identity? It's all based on childhood pain. The story they tell is the sorrow of the parent or the grandparent, like... Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, who's dropped at five, breaks his legs in a war that belonged to his grandpa. But the kid was disabled for the rest of his life. And in his early 20s, he Mephibosheth tells David, why do you want to be around a dead dog like me? What would cause a millennial to say, I'm a dead dog? Because of the residue of, of his father, grandfather's war kids all over Minneapolis were dropped in their grandfather's war kids all over Minneapolis introduced themselves based on the story of pain of a parent the Bible says that Jacob and if anybody knew about names it was Jacob his whole life has been the name game He allowed himself to be called Esau, stealing a birthright. He then wrestled all night trying to acknowledge his real name to God years earlier. This guy knew about names, friends. And Jacob steps in as his wife is breathing her last and chooses not a course of passivity, but becomes the empowered church that is intentional living urgent and ready to step into a moment of truth-telling, of salvation, and says, no, his name will not be son of sorrow, son of adversity. His name shall be called Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of strength, son of longevity. This is the gospel right here. What's at stake if we live passive instead of intentional? If we simply allow this world to name our young and to continue to put a false identity upon our generation of young people and the church just looks overwhelmed because it's so political, it's so large, it's us against everything else. Think about Jacob's courage to reverse the wishes of a dying wife says no I'm not going to honor my wife by honoring her request this kid is not going to spend the rest of his life as son of sorrow he's Benjamin son of longevity this is how the church must behave with a smile, urgent empowered intentional because what's at stake is unimaginable friends, if we just sit quietly along the roadside and Watch it all unfold like a parade, like a nightmare in front of us, friends. We've got to be willing to preach the gospel and tell people there's a better way, there's a better future, there's a better destiny for them. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services and Wednesday prayer services live every week. Check out EmmanuelCC.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.